Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your co-host, Matt Zenek, along with Saqib Ali. And uh, we continue our series with freelance writer and tennis journalist Karen Health, who is helping us to talk to important people in the tennis world, specifically exploring how to help lower-ranked tennis players to find a firm financial footing uh, in tennis and to use this in-between time uh, during the coronavirus pandemic uh, to perhaps find solutions in tennis governance and tennis administration that the sport has failed to find uh, previously while the tour was in, immersed in full activity during this period of downtime, maybe the sport can get its act together. So without further ado, uh, Karen Health, welcome back to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Um, feel free to introduce our special guest today. Okay, going straight for it. So I'd like to welcome Sofia Shapatova. She is a player on the WTA tour from Georgia, not the state, the country, or Republic, I think it is. You can correct me on that. Uh, she's been on the tour since 2004. She has two singles wins on the ITF along with 27 doubles titles and has been a career-high singles of 186 in ranking, 132 in doubles. She's also had a Grand Slam debut back in 2014 at the French Open. Had a fortunate and maybe unfortunate draw playing against the 2009 champion Svetlana Kuznetsova in the first round. So tough draw on that. So welcome, Sophia. And first, how are you? Hi, Carl, and hi, Matthew, and thank you for having me. I'm probably like everyone else, a bit bored, trying to do something with my life. And thanks for having me, and thanks for having my uh, my interests today. Sure. <laughs> Welcome. And, and you have someone with you, so do you want to introduce your partner in crime? Yeah, I'm here today with my coach, Tim Schultz. He's from Germany, but he's staying with me in Georgia. Good morning. Thank Good you morning. for having me. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in. I know it's a little early for you guys. Hopefully you've had some coffee or something. Um, I want to start out first, just Sophia, or either one, if you would explain a little bit the difference between WTA and ITF. I think a lot of people don't actually get the nuance or the difference between the two. Well, yeah, that that's actually a really good question because like people who actually didn't compete or didn't get to that level really don't understand how big is the difference. Uh, like it, it's huge. Like I can talk about it all day. There are so many different conditions, like starting from the courts and uh, starting with the like how people treat players that you have like you're always picked up from the airport and uh, i don't know like the difference are huge well um i started traveling with her last year so i guess for me it was like a very good outside view to see the difference and it's just like she said like really huge like on wta you have great hotels they're paid for you they provide healthy food for you um from a coach's point of view, they give you great practice facilities. They um, they often or mostly have a gym. They give you practice balls, everything, so you can just focus on your job. On ITF, on the other hand, you have to arrange everything on your own. You have to arrange accommodation. You have to arrange practice. The facilities are um, not the best. It depends on the country where you go to, um, I have to say. 
um, in America, often ITF level is still pretty good. Um, yeah. Um, and China also. And China also. That's it's, true. it's high, high level. Usually in Asia, the tournaments are on a very, very high level. But like in Europe, that's basically a problem. Like even Tim had a story last year in France. I tried to get a banana on the back. Yeah, in, in, okay. in France on IT, like usually, you know, like I just said on WTA, food is provided, healthy food is provided. And on one kind of big ITF in France last year, I had a problem getting a banana for us mm. for practice. Um, no, not for free. We not, wanted to not, buy Not it. even for free. Like I, I was at the player's desk and the, the woman there was standing in front of a fridge full of bananas. And I asked her for a banana for practice. And she said, no, they're slowly for matches. So it, match. it was impossible for me to get wow. or even purchase a banana. But because she said it's reserved for matches and that's it. So it's very strict sometimes on ITS compared to WTA. Yeah, and also one big problem is if you are like, let's say, in some not really very civilized city, you know, because not all the cities are huge. Mm -hmm. uh, getting to places is pretty hard. Last year, like Tim was not on that tournament, me and my doubles partner, we went to Spain and there was no transportation or pickup from the train station and we were like okay we'll try to figure it out transport or taxi well i want to make sure that everyone understands that taxi is not that uh, cheap of an option for tennis players who are lower than 200 or 250 in the world so that's not usually our first option obviously well then we arrived there um, there was no transport and there was no taxi there was no uber in the city we called tournament director and he said well it's only like two kilometers and well you can walk to the hotel and we were like well okay so mm -hmm. yeah so i mean you you can imagine we have a tennis bag we have a suitcase and unfortunately we have like one more small bag we need a lot of stuff especially if we're right. out long right so we were walking like to have, I don't want to say that word, but we were really feeling very stupid at that moment because there was nothing in the city. We had to walk uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill because, you know, Spain and Reliath, like, it's a beautiful country, but, like, it's very hard to walk there with, like, three bags after, like, 20 hours of travel. Sure. We got to the hotel. And, I mean, live alone, it wasn't the best hotel, like, the the ceiling in our room was leaking so I mean it wasn't very pleasant week just to say that that would never happen on WTA no. I mean, right that, that, it, that's something that won't happen there yeah and going back sorry to just interrupt if you last week we had John Bolin on and he said the biggest misconception is that everyone thinks tennis players are rich and they all live these luxurious lifestyles so keep going you're uh, well I mean so that, that <laughs> that was exactly what, like, I, I don't know if you're aware, I did many interviews, that's something that I really want people to understand, because six weeks ago I got a very negative backfire on me, because I was trying to talk about players and trying to get the funding for them. Uh, somehow they think that when I say I need help for tennis players, I'm talking about, like, 50 grand per person, so they sh shouldn't work or something like that. That's not the case. Like, when I say... I mean, first time I got to Grand Slam, I couldn't afford a taxi to go there, right? I was in Paris and mm -hmm. I had a subway with three bags. And I don't know if you have been to Paris. There's no elevators or 
uh, escalators there. Like you have to take stairs with all these bags, and I'm not the only one. All the players. It's a good workout. This. And uh, it's like leave alone. Like that's not the only problem. I know so many people who are thinking to order an appetizer with a meal or a salad with a meal because, well, well, if 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 uh, food is like fifteen euros or fifteen dollars, whatever country we're in, right? Like, mm-hmm. can I afford to take like extra salad for ten dollars on side, or I cannot because maybe I have to restring one more racket tomorrow, right. or. Do I restring three rackets for the match or two? Because if I restring three, that might be like 50 euros and I might need that money for dinner later. And if I don't win today, then I don't gain enough. And it's like one of many thoughts that these players have. And when I say that the problems are huge, like I'm not talking about the problems, whether oh, do I buy this car or that car or do I take yeah. this shoe or that shoe? It's like a serious problems. Like, most of lower-ranked players, they're not acting professionally sometimes because they just simply can't afford it. They don't have a coach. They don't. They can't even afford to restring all the rackets for the match. And this is actually quite essential. You have to have a good string, mm-hmm. um, comfort. It's your weapon. Yeah. I, I mean, and we know what we step into. It's not something that, I mean, we don't know. And people tell me that, well, you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, I do. But that doesn't mean we cannot improve, you know. Like Tim Tim, Tim read a really fun comment uh, yesterday from his colleague about the price money differences on WTA Grand Slams and on IGF. Yeah, it's an old friend from home. And he played on the tour like 20 years ago. And he told me about a match he had against the great Ivanisevic and that he collected $10,000 afterwards and that people now in Grand Slams make five, six, seven times just for one round. Right. But that's Grand Slam and ATP. But ITF, the prize money has not changed since the days he played. Mm. Mm. So it's the same prize money, like, for example, a 60000 category. It's the same than when he played. So how, how are you supposed to um, afford the same kind of life, you know? Like, yeah. um, if you make $2,000 in 1980, or if you make $2,000 now, it's a big difference. Yeah, there's something called inflation. Uh, yeah. And also, like, <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, you understand how the world evolved yeah. and the prices. Like, for instance, I was also telling Tim before when I started to play, I was roughly like, like I started to play early, but like professionally, when I started to play, I was like 18 or 19 even, mm-hmm. and. Uh, when I went to twenty five thousand, all the hotel prices were like in between twenty and thirty dollars and euros, you know, for a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you can't even find like sometimes you can't find a hostel for that price. So the cheapest right. rooms are now like sixty five, seventy five, eighty five, and higher on. And uh, meals, like if you could get like a dinner for 10 euros or $10, like 10 years ago, a good one. Now for $10, you like in some places in Europe, you can just get a coffee and maybe a piece of cake or not. And that's not even the best choice. I'm not talking about like healthy food, like plant milks and grains and this stuff. I'm just talking about just eat something, you know, and I'm not going to start about the 
importance of nutrition in professional athletes yeah. if we're talking about professional athletes we're, we're just not talking about it we're just saying basic like a roof to sleep under and something to put in your mouth not to be right hung. and let me stop you here for a second because two things come to mind for me is a the stress involved in living with those circumstances while you're trying to compete um, and then, as you said, you know, just trying to have good conditioning, right? Showing up rested, showing up having had nutritious food, um, showing up, you know, where you haven't had to rush around or walk or try to find public transit because you don't know how to get anywhere and there's nothing available to you that you can afford. Um, if you think back a little bit, I mean, how much do you feel like those stresses also impact performance? Oh, <laughs> like uh, I, I said it before uh, in one interview, but uh, I think it got cut because this is very uh, like one of the memories that's very important for me mm-hmm. because it's something that affected me that year very much. Uh, uh, so I was telling one uh, girl about how I got first time in qualifying of Wimbledon. So I was very happy that my ranking was high enough, like I got to 119 in the world, or I don't even remember exact ranking, but it was enough to get to qualifying on the Grand Slam, so I was like super happy about it, but I needed money to get there, obviously, so I have never played on grass, because, I mean, you can imagine, like, Tbilisi is not really tennis developed country, so it's not like you can get grass court here. So I'm surprised that we still have like five tennis courts in our country because we're really not supported here. So, uh, so I, I was thinking, well, maybe I need to arrive early to Wimbledon because I have never played on grass. I, I like to play fast, so probably I'm going to like it. But still, you know, you, you got to know what's going on, right? So my Sorry. Yeah. I said slightly different surface. Well, yeah, and then, well, also what is pathetic, which is bad for me, because I didn't know back then that I needed a different shoes for a grass court, and then some players told me that you got to buy different shoes, you won't be able to stand, or live alone, like, run, you won't be able to stand. So I was like, oh, okay, I checked online, and it was like 250 pounds on some Mm -hmm. British website, I was like, okay, I cannot give that type of money for the shoes. Anyway... I'll just make it really short. So I had to play a lot of prize money tournaments like in previous two weeks. So uh, I played prize money tournaments in France. God bless them. They have a lot of them and many players just leave off them. And just to make you understand, it's like basically you play two matches a day for two days because they have different system and you can play like three or four tournaments a week. So some players play four, some players play five. Like it depends how much you are willing to kill your body basically so i played two weeks of prizeman tournaments uh, then i played club matches and it was all on clay so i had to play tuesday on grass and i arrived to london on monday uh, from clay and then i didn't have a chance to go and practice i had to run and buy grass court shoes because monday was basically the only day i could afford it and i did that and then i warmed up and then I lost 7-6, 7-6 to a girl who played third round and main draw after. So I was quite happy with my results. Wow. Obviously, for some people, it was like, okay, she lost first round of qualities. But like me, for me, imagine, it was my first time on Wimbledon. And I had to gain money to get there because, well, London is not the cheapest country and city in the world. I've never played on grass and I had only 30 minutes of practice. Wow. So if someone, my result was bad, 
for me, my result was like, oh, wow, to play like this first time on grass. Well, I was pretty like happy. But, you know, that's why I always say for some people and some players, like the result, like it's always in perspective. For someone, maybe a Grand Slam win is a good result. For someone just getting there and being able to stand there is a good result because only we know what we go through. And I'm not saying like this, I'm not telling the story just for someone to be sorry for me. No, I'm just saying it because it's my experience and I can share it. But there are many, many, many players out there who do the same exact thing as me. I know a player who flew to US Open one day before and she was dead on court, but that was the only day she could fly because she couldn't afford to be there like three days earlier you know and that's why you have to know whole story and understand what they go through to put like a like what is a good result what do you call a good result someone from a developed country who had funding like for half a million a year since the age of 10 or someone from the country where they don't have enough money to support their family and food and they got to grand slam you know like you have to know all of that and the problem also with tennis is like uh, when you are not very bad and you are in a good middle level, you still don't break even. So you are pretty good in your profession. You are really close to get on Grand Slam, which is the biggest event, right? So you are basically almost at the top, but you still don't know how to afford the sport unless you don't do something extra. And extra is coaching, extra is playing more matches, extra is like many things, My probably we'll talk about this later even more, but yeah. I right, mean, I, and, I and let that. me just stop you here for a second, you know, and you know, from what I see, I mean, first of all, tennis is like an 11 month season, the off season, everyone's training to start next year. So to me, it seems like a sport where there really isn't much of a break to begin with. Um, and then you know, to deal with the circumstances that, that you are dealing with and know you're not unique. Like you said, there's lots of other people. You're just telling one of the stories as an example. Um, it, it really paints a much more, I want to say rich with quotes in the air, pick a, a rich <laughs> picture of what the experience is like for people who really don't understand the inner workings of tennis and coming up from the ground level. And I just want to Briefly go back, one of the reasons Sophie and I connected and why she's here in the first place is she was gutsy and she started a petition on change.org to raise awareness and encourage some action to help players um, like herself and and many, many, many others right now who are just struggling because even when regular season play is happening, you're not necessarily making money. So these are people who haven't had an opportunity to – put away and suck away rainy day fun and have reserves because you're spending all the money you have just in order to be able to play Um, and doing it judiciously. Like you said, choosing not to order the extra salad with your meal thinking I might need that money to string my racket tomorrow, you know, and making those trade-off decisions. Um, Not something that I think most people truly, truly understand. Um, I looked up your prize money winnings and I hope you don't mention me bring uh, mind me bringing these up so for 2020 oh. i saw so far you are, have banked three thousand three hundred and four dollars and career prize money three hundred fifty four thousand seven hundred twenty five dollars which to some people might look at that and say well that's great but how many years on tour is that and what are the expenses involved in that so let's just talk about your your current situation with 2020 um First of all, did you travel to Indian Wells? Were you involved involved at all at going out there and 
getting stuck or having to find a way back or anything like that? Or were you still um, back at home or, or somewhere close to home? That's a, yeah, that's a good question. Well, first of all, no, I haven't been to Indian Wells because cutoff of Indian Wells is usually very, very high and players outside of 200, not even 200, sometimes 150 don't get in in that tournament. I was right. so I, I was in Brazil, actually, at the current moment wow. when it stopped. And that was actually the first time when actually Tim had the idea, maybe you just send an email to ITF or do a petition or something if no one answers, because I heard that players who went to Indian Wells, obviously they're higher ranked. And I outlined that not because I really disrespect them, I'm like they're obviously good players and they did a huge amount of work to get there but I got that WTA gave them prize money for first round just because mm -hmm. they were there so I just started with a question I sent an email to ITF look I heard that WTA did that can you do the same for us because well there are many many players and like we were planning to play like three tournaments there and we didn't even finish a week we were in the middle of the tournament you know and it's not like the cheapest flight to fly to or you know like I do think that for health reasons, it's very nice that they think about it and they cancel the tournaments, but could be great to have even like a heads up, you know, like a week before, you know, we're talking about this and we might cancel next week. So then we could choose not to fly that far, you know? I mean, you got, you got to imagine, I'm just jumping in here, uh, that in Brazil, they just got an e the, the tournament director just got an email from the ITF office. Okay, you're done. Like, effective immediately. Effective mm -hmm. immediately. There were matches going on. So, and I yeah. actually gave them a, a heads up like, okay, you might want to tell the girls on court at like 90 degrees Fahrenheit, they could stop playing because they're not making any money right now. So, Four points. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> yeah. They, so they went and took them off the court and then no, just no, said, uh, no. th th then just said, well, it's done. Uh, you can go home. See ya. So then uh -huh. we had to arrange everything we had to find a way to get out and our first idea was actually to go go to germany um just in case we can practice because i have good, pretty good um um connections there but our flight was cancelled the evening before mm. so we had to rearrange everything overnight to come here um yeah and then the day after we got here all borders closed so that's the situation i guess Wow, so, uh, so, so sorry for the girls, they were playing like it was third hour, they were on court, like it was two or three in the afternoon, right? And it was very hot just to stand and they were like killing each other. It was like four or third set and Tim was like, can you just tell these girls to just stop fighting <laughs> yeah. for nothing in the middle of the afternoon, like in heat? And they were like, well, yeah, maybe we might, you know? And then they come <laughs> off the court and girls go like, really? Like, we're like... Like exactly, they were on court for three hours and 40 minutes or something like that in the middle of the afternoon, like the hottest time in the day in Brazil, like where it's very hot. Uh, we're like, yeah, and like could be great to have heads up. But yeah, that was when I started to think about this. Then uh, I received the email back that, well, we have a lot on the table, so we will come back to you. And no one came back to me, you know. And then I sent another email, and ITF came back to me with the email regarding points, how the points will be frozen. And then I sent another email, and uh, and then I was like, okay, I'm I'm clearly not being hurt here. And also, I was talking to like 10 to 20 players like each day about 
how they are dealing with it. And I heard a couple of very bad stories, like like kind of I seriously have no clue what I'm doing tomorrow. And one of them was was saying like I seriously what I'm gonna do with the flight back because I had just enough to get here and I was counting on the prize money and stuff like this. And I was like, okay, I gotta do something. And well, obviously the petition is not something that guarantees you will be heard or just will get answer or help but I was like okay that's the only way I can find out online by sitting home that maybe I will get other players involved maybe I will see how many of them struggle and maybe people will understand it so yeah basically it's all started the first day when the matches got cancelled because I just had questions like a player who is in top 100 and who doesn't struggle so much gets the refund for prize money like first round at least but still or accommodation pay, why can't we have the same? We gain even less, you know, so we need even more help, you know, and also we're freelancers, we're not contractors, obviously, like I had this topic also many, many times, no one is obliged to help us, again, we know what we step into, but this is the special occasion, it's not like, uh, like, everyday life where I'm just going to go out and go, oh, I'm so good, I'm so sad, like, just give me money. No, I'm just going to go and work for it. And some people even comment, like, oh, go and work in the supermarket. Hell no, I can't. We're in full quarantine and lockdown. And even people who worked in the supermarket got cut off, so no one will take a new uh, person working there. And, uh, like, I wouldn't start this if it wasn't necessary, really. I wouldn't. But actually it is. So let me stop you. Since you put that out there and I saw there were over 2,000 signatures a couple weeks ago, I think, um, what kind of responses have you gotten from other players, maybe other coaches, other people within the industry, um, and just in general, you know, feedback from people that either love the sport or involved in the sport? Are you getting messages, phone calls, texts? Well, um, I would say from my point of view, because I'm I'm with her through all this from day one. I thought it's you know it's a it, it was my kind of idea in the plane. Um, I thought so. It's your fault we, then. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Since, since since we speak for so many people, and over the course of the last year, I've seen how they work on the side, how what kind of effort they put in just to be on the tour. And how much anxiety. Um, and uh, what they go through and what it causes. Like you said, they're not prepared for matches sometimes because they're just too exhausted or, or, or they don't have food. Um, I thought, okay, if we speak for so many players, this should have the most positive result I can imagine. But it was kind of 50-50 and that surprised me. Like so many players just either um, messaged on private messaging, like that doesn't bring anything. You you can just stop right now, or they even kind of I'm not saying like hate mail, but it's like very negative comments about this. Like oh, you just want free money? No, mm -hmm. we're just we're just asking a question. Like why are other people being taken care of and hundreds of players are not? Um, and even the ones that are like, they actually have the money, they are, they're being taken care of. And the players who work weekly for the money, they're not. So um, it was 50-50. And I guess that was pretty surprising that um, not all the players jumped on board 
um, to be a community to talk in one. So it was like half were talking positive and half were saying, nah, doesn't do anything anyways. So mm -hmm. I guess. Let me ask you this, though. Uh, for those that say it doesn't do anything, <laughs> my assessment from watching players talking to players reading, just being involved over the years, um, is that a lot of these people are so young and you guys come into the sport loving it and you love competing and you just will do anything to be able to compete. <clears throat> and it seems that... There's an expectation that you should just be grateful that you get to play and you shouldn't ask for money and that it's always been that way. Is Would you say that's an accurate description? Exactly. Like that, I, I couldn't say it better myself. Like the only question, like as Tim said, like first days when I started the petition, mm -hmm. it was like very 50-50. I would even say that negative was more than positive. Mm -hmm. Uh the problem is that players who struggle, that they kind of supported me, but they don't believe that something's going to come out of it, as he said. Some players are just really scared to speak up because we have so many rules and, you know, like we're not allowed to uh, be negative and we shouldn't say anything like extra. But I was trying to explain to some players that, you know, like we're not actually doing anything bad. We're not even attacking anyone. We're just asking or something you know it's not like we're fighting against someone or we're fighting everything you know we're just asking and some players were who are actually higher ranked i don't like i, I could actually once just flip out and say names you know just to make people hear who actually is not really there for sports you know like and just talks always from their own ego but i i'm just not gonna be but, that yeah let's, let's not go there yeah i'm just not gonna be that mean but it just shocked me how ignorant some people are because even if i have food on the table like i don't know maybe it's just my nature maybe if i was different or if i had way more money or if i was millionaire my perspective would change but I really love tennis. And for me, if tennis players struggle, that's my struggle. If the system's not good, that's my struggle because it's my sport, it's my job. And if it crashes down, that that has an effect on me, even if not personally. Like, it, it's just hurtful, right? If something that you love, like, goes under the train. And... Uh, yeah, and people are always like, you You know that you're a tennis player, it's a self-employed job, you know what you step into, why are you asking for money? Well, if people who are self-employed, right, the small businesses, the small restaurants, uh, any other companies that are self-employed, that have self-employed people working, if they are allowed to ask for support, right, and they're not judged for it, why are we judged for it? Aren't we human also? Uh, we're not working hard enough? <clears throat> I mean, we work physically uh, at least five to six, seven hours a day. It's a hard job. It's very, very hard job. And just because we chose this hard job and we are ready to just break even and don't go extra shopping, right, doesn't mean that we should, should be punished in the uh, catastrophe time. We shouldn't be punished in pandemic. Oh, you chose this job and that's why shut up now. No, I won't. I will fight for my rights because I'm a human being. And... Uh, some people send me, oh, you can go to government relief and ask for government relief or take a loan. 
And I have an answer to that, that, well, tennis players don't fall to the criteria to get a government relief or pack because for government uh, relief pack for the poor people, uh, we don't gain enough anyway, because for that you have to prove that you gained money and you lost it. And we don't. We just break even in a good times or we are in minus. And when we work as coaching or club matches, it's not an official job. It's on-site job, right, which we get paid cash with. And, well, we can't prove that it's an official income. So that option falls out. Uh, we can go to bank and take a loan because... Not WTA, not ITF, not ATP. They don't provide as an employment letter that we're actually working. So obviously, we're self-employed. So obviously, again, we cannot prove to the bank that we are able to pay that loan back, right? So mm -hmm. that falls out. Then for ITF, WTA, ATP, which now, if if we follow up the uh, situation, they're trying to help us and they're talking about this. But like back like six, five weeks ago, well, they said that, well, they're we wish to help them, but we can't, and they're self-employed. So what are you doing in this moment? Like, where do you go? And people don't understand that, and people judge that. Right. So let me ask you this. I mean, if you could I have your ideal solution come up, what would that be? What would you like to see happen you know I'm not saying you know suddenly you'll have a million dollars but like just to help you through this time right now what do you really need how urgently do you need it and I'm not just saying you yourself but you and the players that you've spoken to and are kind of representing with the petition um and and where do you think some of the responsibility lies and we've talked about ITF so obviously I think you know there is some responsibility there um let me stop here and, and let you ask, answer some of my questions. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead. Well, I would like to see support of the, first of all, I don't want you to have a feeling that I have something specifically against ITF or the organizations. I'm oh, just no. talking to them because they're higher bodies and they, they have the power to find funds and like even PR this thing higher than me for for instance like i'm just a girl from georgia who will talk and talk and talk but when a big organization comes out and says like look we need help it's something different right i would like to see actually more support from tennis players who are higher ranked because well they did make a good profit from this sport and i'm high believer that when you get something you should give something you know and obviously it's voluntarily but as i said before like in previous questions you know like this is my sport right i love this sport and i see it's dying i want to help it especially if i can help it the system is very bad and we can see it because once the system cracks and so many players struggle in a matter of two, three weeks time, that means that something really wrong in there. We don't have insurances. We don't have uh, even healthcare insurance. We don't have pension fund. I would like to see that in the future. Of course, I would love to see that. This is very hard to do and that will make us not self-employed. But I mean, this pandemic showed how, how tennis struggled. I'm pretty sure already by this time, many considered to quit. I know I spoke to a couple of players already, only myself, that I know that they don't, they won't play. I know many players that need to work for a very long time to play. And 
Um, I think this this um, pandemic just um, opened up a situation that has been kind of wrong for years, where um, the top hundred uh, makes more and more money, while the players outside top hundred just stay at the same level or decrease even because things get more expensive. Mm-hmm. Of course, so I think um, maybe you can not level it up because the higher ranked players get way more money. It's normal. And it's fair. And it's fair. But maybe you shouldn't, as, as an organization, um, as the higher body, maybe you shouldn't allow the difference to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Maybe you should find a way in the system to make it more fair so that the people outside the top 100 can catch up um, or just, you know, have a better lifestyle. Like mm-hmm. that's maybe what the, the highest the highest expectation could be, that the higher bodies have, a, in my eyes, a res- responsibility to not get the difference bigger and bigger. Right. Because that will <clears throat> make um, the foundation crumble. And if you don't have a foundation in your sport anymore, um, sooner or later, there won't be a top anymore. Yeah, I looked and 41% of the current ATP top 100 are age 29 or older right now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. If, if, you, if you take away the possibilities to gain money or to, um, to go up the ranking for younger players um, that are not you know, well supported from, because they're lucky to have parents in that situation or maybe they have a sponsor at home, if you take away that chance, like you said, they're um, the best ATP players are 30 in average. So then you kill your future athletes. Um, so they will quit and look for other opportunities and other jobs. Yeah, and it's very important that we, like, ITF installed something new, which is a step forward. Clearly, it's going to be called Players Panel. I even try to nominate myself for it. I I don't know how it's going to work. Obviously, I don't have any ego that I need to be there or someone needs to be there. There has to be seven players on the player panel which will uh, have a voice, let's say, to talk to them directly. I mean, it's not a lot. We're not going to be voting bodies. It's going to be only minimal, like, two meetings per year, maybe three. I mean, obviously, it's not enough, but it's a step forward. But what I like to see is a tennis union where where we are a community. Because I can talk how much I want. That's still going to be not the same as there will be a community which will protect players' rights. we we have to like this situation showed so many flaws which which existed and we knew about them but we were like well okay I gained twenty bucks on twenty five thousand tournament I'll go coach for a week and then go to another tournament you know or play a club match and gain money but now it showed so many flaws that well in situation like this you are completely ripped off and. I, I do think in the future I would want to see us working on a community. I would I would like to see us working on something like a pension fund, or at least like when you're a professional athlete, you should have a, uh, insurance because like you can get injured every week. It's a high injury risk sport, so that's something I actually would like to see in future. 
There's a lot of issues with healthcare these days, but yes, yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, I'm going to shift for a minute. I'm curious if you have heard from a company called Atten and Price. Yeah, I did. Uh, I speak to Eric uh, frequently, actually, and they're actually very nice. I, I like the I way they listening. Talk. Eric is the CEO of this company. I'm just going to give a quick background. They're a French company. Yeah. Um, Eric comes from a finance background, and they have put together a proposal to the players to kind of represent them in negotiation is the best that I understand it. I'm going to say again, not endorsing them. I just looked into it because I was like, here's another player. Um, so, Sophie, I'd love to hear what your interaction is with them, what your thoughts are about what they're proposing, etc. Yeah, I... Uh... I've, I first received a message from one girl like back four, four weeks ago, let's say. I, I'm actually not really exact with dates because because I'm really lost right now with the dates. But uh, yeah, I was curious because, well, the girl sent me a paper. She said, sign this, please. They're really nice and, uh, well, they can represent us. And obviously, I'm not that young anymore. I need to read the paper. I need to find okay. out the all right, so I, I looked up, I, I made a little research, let's say, for two days. I was looking up who Eric is, what is the company, and I was like, oh, it's very new. It's fishy that right now they appeared. Then I looked up if uh, uh, if they worked in there, and then, and then I saw that actually they have a long, long history of working with athletes. They have long history of working in law, and the problem is that... Uh, some people, when they hear them, they go like, oh, they're a new company, what is their interest? And then actually, right. if you research and you look up to them, you see that they have actually a long history of working in it and a successful history. So I was like very positive about it after. Then I spoke to them and I heard about their plans. I read the mandate. I, I read into what they want to do. And they, they actually are not like... Uh, I don't know, fighting against anyone. They also try to do the same thing. They try to install funds for players so that they have, will have some security and then they can help lower-ranked players. And I think that's really great what they're doing and the amount of work they put in, it's like really, really, I, res I respect that because I'm happy that someone wanted to help the sport in some way. And the way they communicate also with me, like it, it's very transparent. He always tells me what they're up to, what they're doing. And I'm, I'm really happy that they're also into this because, well, they, they know how to put up a document really well because, well, obviously they're lawyers. They know how to do this accounting really well because, as you said, Eric worked worked in finance uh, before and also some players trust them the problem the other problem is that not everyone trusts them because they think oh there has to be something to it because well we don't believe in so many good things lately and well understandable because they always try to find a motive for this well not right. really they don't really have that much of a motive except they have a couple of players they represent and they just want to help and well then uh, if they help me, I'm just going to be thankful and that's it. So yeah. uh, they we're not uh, like financially, we wish we, they don't ask for payments from players. So they basically do their job for free. And it's not like they make you sign a contract for them for like 30 years. It's just until June, the mandate that they send out to players. So it's not like you are 
obliged to do something after or you're financially obliged. You're just letting them, uh, giving them the permission to just represent you and ask for help for you. That's all. And I think that's really nice. And I was glad to hear from them because I was actually positively surprised to uh, hear from people like that. Yeah. Right. And, you know, understandably, there's people are going to be questioning, why are they doing this? What's in it for them? Um, I will tell you, I spent an hour and a half on a conference call with Eric and his partner, um, Olivier. And, you know, I walked away. And again, I come from a business background. I've worked in financial services and technology for years before getting into this arena. You know, my impression, again, impression, was that they were in it for the right reason. Uh, that's just going to be yeah. my impression, right? Um, can I back them? No, I haven't met them. I, you know, I did also ask for their documentation. I read through it. I didn't see anything that read as sketchy or questionable. But again, and not endorsing them, just kind of adding color to the story that I kind of did due diligence like you because I was like, okay, who are these people? They are pretty new. What's going on here? And I think what she said, Sophia, about the fact that they've worked in sports for quite a while. Eric actually has worked with um, football, soccer players for quite a while. So he's not entirely new to sports. He's just newer to, to tennis in that respect. Yeah, exactly. So we're probably going to have them on just as a teaser for anyone out there listening. Um, <laughs> as, as the next, you know, kind of let them speak and tell their story a bit. So interesting. It's interesting that you've talked with them. It's interesting that you, you know, kind of have a, a positive view on what they're doing. And, you know, I like to hear that there are some positive options happening. Um, you know, Novak Djokovic had, you know, announced from the ATP council that those players were trying to put together some kind of package, some kind of fund. Um, it looks like there's been some backlash on it, but you know, that still seemed like a pretty positive move, um, in that, it was announced and at least there was enough backing behind it that there was interest enough there for him to make that announcement. What are your thoughts on that? Or what have you heard? Well, I was very positively surprised when Djokovic announced about that scheme. And I actually thought that it's a very, very good idea because he didn't like really put up big numbers. Like he didn't ask to donate millions, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's very nice initiative what he started. Also, Patrick Muratoglu and uh, Stefan Ostisipas did a fundraiser. I don't know if you have seen it, but they did like a silent auction and they're raising money for everyone under 100. And I think it's pretty cool. Djokovic, what, what Novak is trying, something really cool. And there are many players who are actually supportive now. And I really like that, like as the time goes by, uh, it gets more and more positive and big, and I'm glad about this. But yeah, what you said about backfire, I'm just not gonna comment this and lift him to this. Well, well um, I think um, you know, like you said earlier, the the big names have to come up and support the the foundation of the sport because they have the influence. They they are heard all around the world. They are heard by all the federations, by all the organizations. So if someone like Djokovic says one sentence, it's has more weight than someone lower than 200 talking for hours. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, their their voices are almost more valuable than any money that could contribute, in fact. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
So, yes, I was aware of the silent auction that Stephanos and, and Patrick put together. So, again, some interesting creative ideas coming out here and, and different ways of, I, I almost love that there's like a grassroots thing sort of happening, you know, um, but I hope that eventually this is all going to funnel up to one common fund, because one of the things that I see with tennis is just, you have so many organizations and they all have their own, for lack of a better word, corporate structure. So that means, you know, there's an awful lot of executives involved and executives make the bigger salaries. And I'm not saying they're not doing their jobs or anything like that, but I think that there may be a way that tennis will need to streamline in the future in order to be able to get funding to where it needs to be to, I think, to quote you, Tim, you know, not kill the players, not kill the sport, because if you don't support your foundation, your pyramid is going to fall eventually. It may not be this year, it may not be in five years, but maybe in 10 years, there's no more professional tennis. And I don't think anybody wants to see that happen. <clears throat> so hence kind of where I got my idea for the article I put together. Um, you know, I, I want to just talk about this since we talked about backlash a little bit. You know, I think Dominic Teams got a lot of heat yesterday. I think some of his statements were taken out of context, though, because I looked at a couple different versions of the interview and the Q&A, and I think part of his statement was... Um, you know, I, I think he's really thinking like, you know, I need to give my money to like people starving in the streets, you know, kind of thing. Um, and, and I can certainly see that philosophy. The only thing that bothered me was just the statement that, you know, some players are not fully committed. And when <clears throat> we go back to your earlier story about, you know, arriving in Paris, not being able to afford a taxi, um, you know, having to walk two kilometers after flying and traveling for 20 hours to get to where you're getting. It's a lot harder to be fully committed if you've got to, you know, give lessons on the side and be a pro and wait tables at a restaurant or whatever. And then again, the stress is involved in having to juggle all of those things just so you can play. Um, and I, so I think in that respect, maybe a bit short-sighted <laughs> on his part, with that, but I also think there were some things taken out of context. Um, what's your reaction to Dominic's response? And actually, I guess, Tim, if you speak German, you probably can understand his uh, full interview better than I could because yeah, it was Austrian, right? Like it was for yeah. an Austrian paper. Yeah. Because yep. uh, yep. first, first I read it on a on an English speaking uh, newspaper, mm -hmm. and I thought, okay, that's pretty rough. Uh, and then I I saw the original one. Um, and I thought, oh, that's even a, another level of roughness. Really? Because, okay. Because of because of the words he chose, mm -hmm. um, um, like like you said, how he talked about other players on the tour. So I thought it was a very rough tone uh, in German. Um, but I mean, it's of course, you know, Djokovic asked the top hundred to chip in. Um, it's not. It, no one is obliged. He can do whatever he wants with his money. He's very right that he says he needs to donate or he wants to donate to um, people who suffer from hunger, for example. Um, of course, uh, it's completely his right. No one is obliging him to do anything. But then, like you said, the way he said, like, oh, no one really struggles 
on tour mm -hmm. and, he, and he knows this because he played, I don't know, in 2013, he played a year ITF. Um, he's been sponsored ever since he started tennis. So I don't think, like, the, the words he chose and how he talked, well, what's printed, you probably have more insight, um, what's printed, the words he had kind of show that he doesn't know what those mm. players go through, like you said, or like Sophia just um, explained. He doesn't understand uh, that those players, just to be able to travel, have side jobs, have also a family to support in, in many cases. Um, they don't have sponsors, so they look for every euro, for every dollar they spend. They need to spend it wisely. So the way he talked, I don't know, kind of showed that he doesn't understand the, mm. the tour, really. Um, and um, I think for, for many players who read it, it seemed a bit disrespectful to their efforts for the sport. Yeah. Um, so, like, like I said, he can do whatever he wants, and he achieved so much, and everyone have, has, has respect for it. But, um, like, it, it sounded pretty disrespectful for, for, for players who put everything in the sport. Of course, there's always black sheep in every profession. So there's some players walking around just living off their talent on the court. Yeah, I agree. We see that week by week, but it's just a handful so he's judging the tour just because he knows a handful of people who don't take it as professional as he would like them to take it. So his right. his opinion about a couple of players um, define his judgment of the entire tour below 200. And I just don't think that's the, the, the correct point of view, you know? Right. So... Transitioning then, you know, there's also talk about combining the ATP and WTA in some way. You know, Roger Federer's said he's in favor of it. Nadal is in favor of it. Um, Ash Barty mentioned she was in favor of it. You know, there's a number of players saying that. So, again, I know you're more ITF level, but just looking at tennis holistically, do you see that as a positive uh, possibility? Yeah, uh, well, there is actually many sides of it. Like, first of all, well, not to disrespect to anyone, not, Roger Federer was not the first one who wanted to do it. The great village. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he's fighting about that for years and years and years. And her impact on women's tour and her impact in tennis is tremendous. And that's something she was trying to say for years, that we need this, right? And I do see it as a positive because more governing bodies we have, harder it is to establish rules. You have no idea how many rule differences are there between WTA and ITF with the different deadlines, with the different withdrawal deadlines, different facilities. So this could be very positive because finally women could be equal to men maybe or closer to be equal because there's really a lot of differences between uh, women and men in tennis still which is very surprising that we're still in the 21st century and we still have to talk about this in 2020 but there are huge differences between men and women tour so maybe this could bring women closer to men this could be great if we had one boss let's say you know uh, and one governing body i really don't see at this point how this can be organized but probably people know it better because that's not my profession and that's not like i would like to see it happen i don't know how 
the one thing that's always concerning me when I hear about this, because obviously overall it's very positive, something that concerns me is that women are always, like it's been years and mostly more or less, they're not always, but more or less they're in the shadow of men. And I'm scared that what if these two bodies merge and we're official number two, you know? Now we're talking about it, but we're kind of trying to be equal. But what if if we merge, we will be like, okay, we're your organization, men come first, women. Like, I'm scared that this might happen. I hope it doesn't. But this is one thing that always scares me. But on the other hand, like, women to relax the some benefits that men's tour has and some like other type of organization and I do think that men are more backed up Mm -hmm. yeah for me whatever happens whether there's merging of different organizations merging of governing bodies the one thing I see is the players have to have equal weight at the table with the governing bodies and in the same light if there's going to be a merger of the ATP and WTA then it has to be equal footing in terms of influence um, on decisions, input, things like that. So let, let's see. You know, I, I agree with you. There's, there's some positives there, and there are also reasons to uh, question, right? Question yeah, and step right. back and say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give it some thought, but let, let's see what this really is going to look like on paper and yeah. um, ask the question. So, Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and, and get close to wrapping up. So on a positive note, we had the Madrid Open, a virtual tennis event today. Did you guys follow yeah. it all at all? What did you think about it? Like, uh, like really, honestly, I didn't follow it. I really okay. don't want to follow it. Like, I, I, I mean, many people have different opinions about this. That is a, like a future type of entertainment and stuff like this. It might be. I'm not sure it was like really good timing. Like for me personally, and I know many players feel the same way as I do. It's not really good timing to, uh, you know, hold the event like this when while, let's say, at least thousand players are trying to get some help others are playing uh, playstation to gain money and it's made up as a charity but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know I, uh, for me it's very difficult i think they the organizers probably had good intentions to they they said they want to raise some money um regarding the problem that we have been talking about the entire time um but they also let it up they uh, let the decision how much is donated up to the winner of this PlayStation tournament. So um, it's not e- it's not completely a charity. It's like they're playing for money, and the winner gets to decide what he does with his money. So mm-hmm. so I think um, it might be entertaining for a lot of people. I actually don't know. Like I don't follow video or esports or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it shows a bit that some of the great players um, don't participate. Maybe that's the maybe they don't know how to play the game. I don't know, <laughs> um, <laughs> or or they just don't agree with the idea. Um, but from the outside, from from the tennis player per, per, um, perspective, like Sophia said, while eighty uh, percent of the tour are in conversation with the federations about can we get some dollars to um, survive this huge long break others are kind of being paid to play a video game so yes. that's that's in i don't know that the presentation is not i guess very lucky 
Like you know? I, I, I really would like add something like you know they they uh, like the idea itself it's good because it is good. it's something yeah. very positive yeah. in this tough time, right? Yes. Do you agree? Like yes. it's something to smile about and you see some reactions like yesterday I saw some memes even made out from the reactions of tennis players while pre playing a video game, you know? But for me it would sound like way better, like look, top players are playing this to raise money and then this money will be donated. Okay, that could be like really, really super cool idea. But it's still up to the winner. So you tell me that someone put a lot of effort for playing a video games for three days, you know? Like, I'm right, right. And, then, and not just effort, now. money was around $300,000, right? For putting that much of effort in it. And then they decide and maybe they get 50% of their winnings or 20%. And then basically, if someone, like, I don't know, I would like to see it. If some winner goes like, no, of course, I just played a video game. I'm donating 100%. That's pretty cool. But mm -hmm. if someone's like, oh, I'm donating 25% from my prize money. So basically, you just paid almost 100 grand someone for just playing PlayStation for three days. Right. And they just kindly donated this money. Like, I mean, I just don't really like, as I said, like the idea of something positive, like some tennis, even virtual going on, it's very nice. But from the other point of view, I mean, understand my perspective, right? I'm just sitting here basically talking for seven weeks straight about how players struggle and they don't have money for food and blah, blah. And then I see someone going on a computer and gaining around 300,000 for that. You're, you're going to be kidding me, right? Right. That right. Was it, which is about as much as you've made in prize money in your whole yeah. career at this point. Exactly. Yeah. So I get it. I, I totally hear and understand why you could kind of almost see this as a virtual slap in the face a little bit of <laughs> we're going to throw all this money out to these players. We're going to spend the money to develop this video game. We're going to spend money making sure everybody has the equipment shipped to their house. I mean, these are no small things. I've done software deployments. I know what's involved in this kind of thing. Um, what I do believe is it is a way to give fans something. And I think that is probably also the objective here is to look, fans are hungry. Fans are disappointed. You know, when Indian Wells crashed and burned and didn't happen, you know, it was a big letdown. Um, so I think there, there's an element of that. But what I think is missing is the sensitivity to you guys about how it might look and feel to you given everything you're going through. So yeah, it, exactly. it may be the timing of the circumstances isn't necessarily the best. Well, also, as I said, that's why I pointed it out. Like it's, it's really cool for the fans. Like it's really cool idea, but maybe this prize money distribution should have been done differently. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, believe that the players that are playing this game are really like I, I don't know maybe I'm not aware of something are really in the need of money so they could just say okay the top players are entertaining their fans to keep the sport up and everything but the prize money we donate let's say right, right. so like decided like it's for the fans and for help but when you put it out like this the winner will decide that really like that that's just something that is kind of like a stitch to me like for last three weeks since i found out about this you know mm -hmm. yep i can understand that all right so we're gonna wrap up and i want to say i would love to have you back on again maybe in a month 
or two or I don't know, maybe in a few weeks if something interesting happens that makes sense to talk about. Um, I hope that you will stay positive and believe in the fact that change can happen. Um, it doesn't happen overnight and you just kind of have to keep going and take your small wins and, and stay focused on the things that you know need to change. Um, that said also, you know, why do you want to keep going? I honestly, like, I just can't really put in words the explanation why do I play tennis in the first place because that's something my family couldn't support ever, to be fair. Mm -hmm. That's something I really wanted to do since I was young. Let's say I have some personal goals, which I want to prove to myself, and that's why. Also because I love the sport and I love what it gives me mentally. Like, I, I like that. I, I, I know that it gave me a lot as a person. It also gave me a lot of anxiety. Not that it didn't give me bad things. But it also gave me very much things that I'm grateful for. All the experiences, people I know, like even Tim here sitting here. I know him from tennis, you know. I'm so grateful for these connections and people. And even if I'm not going to go on playing, I'm probably going to go on coaching. I don't know, commentating, uh, helping someone or talking for tennis. I'm, I'm still going to try to be very close to tennis because it's something I really, really love. Okay. I think that's a great point to close. I'm just going to throw it out quickly. Do you guys have any questions for Sophia that we haven't covered? You know, my, my, one quest, my one question, Sophia, is uh, were there people in tennis who, you know, during the actual tour, uh, who you would try to talk to them about reform. And they would say, well, I'm kind of busy playing and doing my thing as a professional, and I really don't have time. Any of those people come back to you during the pandemic and said, hey, you know, now that I have free time, I'd like to, you know, help you out. Any Anybody like that? <laughs> uh, like, no, actually not really, because... Uh, that's what I'm saying. What we lack is a community, and many players have different points of view. Some players that are on top, they forget where they started. Like, many players were supporting. Like, last year, there was also the petition going on. I don't know if you're aware of this, about change of ITF rules. And there was a player from Croatia, that's Anna Virlic, and she's always fighting for the rights of players. And she's a super kind person, and she always tries to help. And I was the person who was always supporting me. And I always support her ideas because I do know she loves sport as much as I do. And I do trust her as a person. The other tennis player who is always also working with me and I always hear her talk about it is Tara Moore. I don't know if you have seen her interviews also. She's also very loud about this topic now. And these are players basically that didn't appear right now. These players always fought for it. They stayed in ITF level. We, we got injured many times. Like Tara had a surgery right now. So like she might not even play because she, she was hardly injured so but she will still talk because she loves tennis and these players existed and exist but there are some players that were negative and they will stay negative and there are some players who unfortunately talk only from their own ego and they really honestly don't care about what's happening on the lower tier or what's happening to the sport as long as they are able to play you know so no not really and also uh 
going back to, I think, very first question or second question, many players would like a change and would want to change, but they don't really believe this can happen. So they think that they don't need to spend their time because also it involves anxiety, nerves, stress, all this talking and talking and communicating without any success, let's say. It takes a lot, like really mentally a lot out of you. So many players don't want to go on that road because they don't believe it will bring results. So they just really don't want to do it because they don't think they can change. Uh, I just, as a person, think there's always a way to change something and at least you can fight for it. Well, as long as you can. So yeah, there are people who were always, in my opinion, like they, they do the same thing as I do and they fight for the sport. And there are people who just fight for themselves and it's their choice. So, yeah. Well, let me just ask a quick follow-up then. Among the people who believe in what you're doing but don't think it can actually happen politically, if you were able to activate or, or convince those people, those players, that they actually could win, would the sport of tennis be reformed? I do think so, yeah. yeah. If we once show a precedent that, yeah, when we talk as a one voice, when we fight till the end, when we don't give up, we can change something, you know? We can help each other. We can support each other. We can compete as much as we want on the tennis court. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm super competitive, not only tennis court, even if I play board games. But when <laughs> we show each other that outside of the court, we can build up a strong community in the future. So if God bless us, we don't have a pandemic anymore. But if something like this happens, we as a community will be strong. I do believe many players, if we kind of change something now, I do think that many players will say, oh, look, well, she talked. The other one talked, the three girls talked, it changed something. Mm -hmm. That means we also can try and we will build up each other. More, more, we more we talk, one or two players join, then another two players join. And, and, and this is how the community is built up. And I do believe that we can do it, yeah. It's like there's, there's so many different federations and then there's so many players. So there's always this thing like, okay, without federations, there's no players. But also from the other point of view, without players, there is no federations. So, um, and like, to me, it, it amazed me what Federer, this one tweet he did about just the idea of merging, it exploded overnight. Right. So it just, it just shows what kind of impact a world-class player has um, on everything, on the fans, on colleagues, and on the organiza organizations. So I think... Uh, if the top guys and the top girls will get involved more, their voice might be even louder and heard more. And then I think you can change everything if you just have have the same goals. Okay. If you just want to want to stick to the same path, make everything more successful, better for fans, better for players, better for organizations. So why not look in the same direction? And better for right. like to support each other. It's better for sport. <laughs> So let's wrap up. So, Sophia, you won qualifying and won your way into the French Open Grand Slam, right? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yes. One of the biggest things probably that you've accomplished. And how much belief did you have to have to do that? Oh, that's a tough question. Well, honestly... 
I just want to just put one tiny comment on that question. It's a great question. It's just not the bigger thing for me in my career because in 2008 we had a war ongoing, like a little one, but against Russia. And I was in Russia actually at that moment and I won a doubles competition there and I was in final in singles. So a Georgian hymn was played there while mm-hmm. we were like Georgian hymn was played in the middle of Russia while we were at war in it. Wow. So that was a proud moment for me so that still remains and probably will remain my biggest moment not because of tennis just because of my <laughs> national feelings yeah no absolutely great story i'm glad you <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah obviously grand slam qualifying is something also very big for me also because i hate clay to be really honest <laughs> but <laughs> yeah that was pretty surprising for me and honestly uh, that's probably the only way I could qualify because I didn't have any expectations on clay so I was just happy to be there like a happy kid walking around saying hi to everyone smiling just being happy and I I, I just played I just closed my eyes and hit every ball and that was it and uh, the like playing against Svetlana Kuznetsova I mean she 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 won French Open once and I Honestly, maybe I could have played better against her, but I kind of went on the match already lost because I didn't expect that I could compete against her on clay, especially. But it was obviously a big honor to play against a player like her because she's super hardworking, even now. Like, she's working very hard and it's one of a couple of players I respect so much on tour. And it was a good lesson learned. Like, I learned once more that I have no idea how to play on clay court. And ever since then, I tried to improve and Tim tried to help me with that. But it was a great feeling. It was indeed a great feeling that I had a chance to compete against a Grand Slam champion. That's mm-hmm. something that never leaves your memory. And that's a great memory I cherish, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to leave you then with one last thing. I have actually witnessed heard Roger Federer saying he believes in miracles and that anything can happen. And we look at his career and everything that he's accomplished and not saying he hasn't had some great support along the way too, but I I truly believe that's the attitude that the players at the bottom have to have right now, because just like a match, if you step on the court saying, I can't do this, you know, I'm I'm so outranked. This player is so much better than me. You've pretty much lost the match because where your mind goes, your body and your action and your behavior is going to follow. So that belief now, you know, your battle right now isn't on the court. Your battle right now is off the court. So that's, to me, where I'd love to see, as you said, the community of the players focusing right now so that um, you're putting your best efforts to getting not only what you want, but I think what is fair. Um, and I will go out on a limb and say that. So. Thank you. Thank you. That sounds very good. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been much longer than we said it was going to be. Um, and your day's just Fine. getting started. So um, thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'd love to have you back another time. So stay safe and um, just keep going. Keep going. You too. Stay healthy and have a great week. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank, thank you for you. having us. Pleasure. <laughs>